0: Hello, misfits. This is Kate.
1: And this is Joe.
0: Welcome to Horrorwood. But before we get into it we do have a little biz nasty to take care of <laughs> so first off we have a new patronian uh, shout out to tiffany caldwell who is our latest misfit murderino thank you so much tiffany and because she signed up before october 1st that means she's gonna get one of those little gift packages that i talked about before Ooh. And if you want one of those little gift packages, you have to sign up before October 1st. And it's only for our highest tier, which is the Misfit Murderino. And that's $5 a month. Uh, And if you're signed up, as long as you're signed up before October 1st, it doesn't matter what day, you're going to get that little package. But you do actually have to make sure that you give Patreon your address because Mm. I don't know your address Mm -mm. (laughs) otherwise. So get on that. And uh, I also wanted to briefly mention our poll results. So I put up a poll, uh, I don't even know when, sometime last week, I think, Uh, regarding co hosts. I wanted just to see if you guys like having two of the same hosts every week or if you like this rotation that we've kind of been on the last few weeks. As of right now, And I think the last poll, which is on Spotify, closes in like six hours Mm. from the time we're recording this. My voice is doing weird things.
1: It's spooky. I like it.
0: (laughs) I don't like it. Um, But as of right now, it's literally split 50-50. Oh my goodness. Half of you love hearing a rotation and like getting the different voices each week. Half of you like hearing the same people and getting used to the same people. So- I wasn't expecting that. I actually thought it was going to be like mm-hmm. a landslide one way or the other, uh, but it wasn't. And that's okay. I, it gives me ideas. So I think I know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to announce it yet, um, but I have ideas. And if you're like, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't Go listen to it. the episode that says an update from Kate. You'll know what I'm talking about. So let's get into this. All right. Okay. This case is bananas (laughs) b-a-n-a-n-a-s this case is bananas gwen
1: would be proud
0: there are so many people involved i'm gonna do my best to be clear about who each person person Mm -hmm. person is and their relationships to each other because oh boy oh boy let me just go ahead and say there are no winners in this case Mm. doesn't turn out great for anyone here
1: Spoiler alert.
0: Spoiler alert. It's all bad. Yep. At the time all this went down, it was considered a very high profile case. I actually hadn't heard of it before. I just happened to stumble upon it. Why am I sitting like this?
1: <laughs> you do you. <laughs>
0: well, I'm like re- like climbing my leg up the wall. That was really <laughs> awkward. Uh, I just happened to stumble upon it as I was watching reruns of old Dateline episodes. Mm. Like one does. Incredible. Today, we're talking about film executive Gavin Smith. Hmm. Have you heard of him? I don't think so. Okay. On May 1st, 2012, Gavin returned to Los Angeles after a work trip in Vegas. He was staying at a friend's house rather than the home he shared with his wife and kids. We'll get into why later. And that day, he spoke with his wife, Lisa, on the phone. Lisa told him he would need to take their youngest son, Austin, to school the next Hmm. day. The next day came... Austin was at home waiting for his dad, but Gavin didn't show up. Mm. This was highly unusual. He never just forgot to take his kid to school. So after waiting a while, his son called a friend that lived nearby and was like, hey, can you come get me? So he did. That afternoon when Lisa went to pick Austin up from basketball practice, he told his mom, hey, dad never came and picked me up, which immediately set off alarm bells Mm. for Lisa. So she got in touch with Gavin's work And they told her he hadn't shown up that day.
1: Uh oh. He
0: hadn't missed a day of work in 18 years. Okay. So, where was he? Before we get into the details of this case, let's talk about who Gavin was. Gavin Smith was born on December 10th, 1954, in the San Fernando Valley of LA. He was considered very good looking, he was really tall, about six foot six. Tan, blonde, very athletic. When he was younger, his dad would coach him in basketball, which seems to have paid off because he attended Van Nuys High School where he was a star basketball player and then was recruited to play for UCLA. At the time, John Wooden was coach of the UCLA Bruins, and he's considered one of the best Mm. basketball coaches in college of all time, if not the best. Coach Wooden won 10 NCAA championships in a 12-year period. I don't know a lot about sports. Me neither. (laughs) But I know that that's that's pretty good. Yeah,
1: that sounds like a big deal.
0: So Gavin played on the 1975 team, which won the NCAA championship Mm. that year and was John Wooden's last. He Mm. retired after that. Gavin didn't play in the championship game, but, like, he was still...
1: He got him there.
0: Yeah, exactly. And he did play in two Final Four games the following season. Gavin transferred to the University of Hawaii for Hmm. his senior year, where he played for the Rainbow Warriors basketball team. Coach Riley Wallace said, quote, he could score from anywhere on the floor. He was probably one of the best shooters in the history Hmm. of Hawaii. So it feels like he was probably pretty good. Yeah. People just naturally graduated graduated that too (laughs) but they did graduate (laughs) but they naturally gravitated toward gavin he was this tall attractive guy with at the time long hair he had a bright white smile he was a talented athlete and he always brought his dog to basketball practice so people just loved him Mm -hmm. he had dreams of playing in the nba but when he wasn't drafted according to his brother-in-law he quote went off into the mountains for about five or six days and then came back home. He just needed some time to reflect. Is that normal? You know, I think when you're living in that area, I mean, you're surrounded by mountains. That's your nature. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like for a lot of people, it is normal. Okay. If he just wants like a little self-care, he's going to go camp out for a few days. After college, he moved back to LA and was just trying to figure out what he wanted to do with his life. In the meantime, he got a job as a golf caddy at a pretty schmancy golf club. And by the way his sister Tara describes it, this was how he got noticed by some influential people in the mm. movie industry. Because there were a lot of movie moguls that frequented this mm-hmm. club.
1: Also the tallest caddy in the history of the world. That's right? the
0: thing. He just stood out. Yeah. So he was offered work on screen pretty quickly. Hmm. His first gig was at a, as a body double for a basketball player in the 1980 movie Inside Moves. Mm. Gavin had actually grown up in the movie industry fa- in a movie industry family, excuse me. His mom was a script supervisor as well as an assistant film producer, and Gavin realized he really liked being on set and acting was something he wanted to pursue. Mm. But obviously wasn't paying big bucks right when he started out, so he was also waiting tables as so many starting out actors mm-hmm. do. And I think he might have still been caddying at the time. As acting jobs were few and far between, Gavin got into doing stunt work for film and TV, which stunt work can pay pretty <laughs> quite a lot. Why
1: are you yeah. laughing? <laughs> well, actually, I was laughing because, like, he picked two of the hardest industries to break into. Absolutely. Professional <laughs> basketball and acting, but then took it to a whole new level with uh, the risk of stunt.
0: (laughs) He's like, I'm going to do it all.
1: He's a thrill seeker. He
0: is. So unfortunately, the stunt work would lead to a dramatic and devastating turn in his life. While working on the show Remington Steel, Mm. Gavin was doing a stunt playing a shooting victim Mm. that falls from a a second story window. Uh The stunt did not go according to plan, and Gavin seriously injured the lumbar area of his spine, which resulted in chronic back pain. He was first prescribed Percocet, which is an opioid, Mm -hmm. but after a while, he felt like that just wasn't cutting it anymore. The pain was really severe, at which time the doctor prescribed him Oxycontin,
1: Mm.
0: another opioid. We know where
1: this goes. He became addicted. Yep.
0: Meanwhile, he's still pursuing acting. He had a couple of bit parts in films in 1988, but... Obviously he can no longer do stunt work. I'm gonna yeah. take some water because yeah. my voice is doing weird shit.
1: <laughs> well you do. I used to love watching Remington Steel. Wait, did you really? Yeah. I watched it with my grandma like That's amazing. all the time. It was it was great. It had everything. Mystery, action.
0: <laughs> it had it all.
1: It had it all. <clears throat> the eventual mother in law from Everyone Loves Raymond. Come on.
0: Oh, I didn't realize she was in it. Oh yeah. Love her. A little Doris Roberts. Mm-hmm. So Gavin kept his job waiting tables, which is how he met Lisa Dobson. In January of 1989, Lisa was a customer at the restaurant where Gavin worked, and he was her waiter. She was immediately attracted to him. Mm. He was flirting with her, and they seemed to hit it off. So when he asked for her number, she was thrilled. Like Gavin, Lisa was tall. She was six feet she had long blonde hair. The two of them were pretty close in age, like maybe five years apart, okay. I think. They just looked like they went together, mm-hmm. you know. Lisa was a widow. Her first husband had tragically died in a motorbike accident mm. just six months after they were married. Suspicious. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my mouth closed. <laughs> but this didn't stop her from pursuing a life with a partner. Uh-huh. She and Gavin wasted no time. By June, they were planning their wedding, and by November, they were married. Wow. Just 10 months after meeting.
1: That's fast.
0: Immediately, they got pregnant with their first son, Evan. Whoa. In the early years of their marriage, Lisa was paying for everything. Hmm. She had her own business, she was an accountant, and she made good money.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Whereas Gavin, he wasn't exactly pulling in the big bucks Mm -hmm. through his acting or waiting tables. He did land a small role in the 1994 film Cobb, starring Tommy Lee Jones, and he and Lisa had a second child, a son they named Dylan. But when they got pregnant with their third child, Lisa was like, my dude, Hmm. I need you to contribute more. I've been paying Mm. for everything, supporting this family 100%, and you haven't had a steady stream of income since I met you. Gavin realized she was right. He needed a more stable job, and he found it at Fox Studios. Hmm. Still in the entertainment industry, which was something he loved, he started off in an entry-level position, basically, but quickly rose up the ranks, becoming a branch manager in film distribution and pulling in a six-figure salary. He was right. partly responsible for this blah, for the success of huge films like Titanic, Avatar, the Star Wars trilogy. Wow! So he was doing pretty well yeah this allowed Lisa to become a stay-at-home mom which was what she wanted and Mm. she was able to focus on raising their three boys they had a pretty idyllic life they lived in a three-bedroom home in West Hills which is an affluent neighborhood of LA Gavin was really good at his job Lisa said he was a great employee very well loved she said they had a tight-knit family Gavin was really close with his three sons He'd go surfing with them, coach them in soccer and basketball. Their oldest son, Evan, played basketball for USC, and Gavin was so proud, even though that was his alma mater's rival. He was mm. like, "My boy!" Yeah. From the outside looking in, this was a happy, healthy, close knit family. But behind closed doors, things looked a little different. Oh. Gavin's opioid addiction was taking its toll on his relationship with Lisa. Towards the end of 2007, Gavin just wasn't acting like himself. Mm. Lisa described him during this time as being, quote, wonderful and sweet and loving, the most wonderful man. But sometimes he's this angry, scary, intimidating, cruel person.
2: Mm.
0: Not cruel, but it's really a mental abuse. Mm. She said, quote, he's never hit me, but he has scared me.
2: Mm.
0: Lisa became very religious around this time. According to Gavin's friends, she turned to religion for comfort. Hmm. Gavin was not a religious guy, so this added strain to their relationship, which, that is tough, because ideally, you look for a partner with similar beliefs and values as yours. When that begins to change, suddenly one person goes one way, the other goes another way. It can be hard to find common Mm -hmm. ground. On March 1st, 2008... Gavin enrolled himself in an outpatient drug rehab program called Matrix. So it seems he recognized he needed help, so that's good. Eventually, he became a group leader there, assisting hmm. new patients. Not long after Gavin started in rehab, a woman by the name of Chandrika or Chandy Creech enrolled in the program. She had an alcohol abuse problem. Hmm. It was in the rehab program that she met Gavin, and the two of them became friends. Chandy was around 34 or 35 years old at the time, and she was a newlywed.
1: And she, how old are they at the time? Do you remember?
0: Lisa and Gavin? Yeah. Gavin was around 53. Okay.
1: So a bit of a gap.
0: But yeah, there's a jump there. Uh, Chandy described her, oh, sorry. Chandy was around 34 or 35 years old at the time, and she was a newlywed. She married John Creech the year prior in 2007. Hmm. Shandy described her husband, John, as toned, built, strong, and very muscular. Wow. She also, Wow. There's
1: some real lookers in this story.
0: I they, Everyone, this is a weird thing to say, yeah. everyone is very attractive yeah. in this story, whether they're good people or bad yes,
1: people. Yes, yes. <laughs> like the movies.
0: <laughs> Just like the movies. Uh, so, so Shandy did say that John also took steroids mm. to make himself even bigger. After Chandy enrolled in the rehab program, her husband John discovered, apparently through her cell phone bill, I Mm -hmm. guess, that she and Gavin were more than just
1: friends. Mm -hmm.
0: They were having a full-blown affair. Oh, dear. I think John saw Gavin's number over and over Mm -hmm. and was just like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. Chandy said that when John found out about the affair, he shoved her around, hit her in the face, and was really rough with her.
2: Mm.
0: According to Chandy... John went to the rehab facility to confront Gavin and told him to stay away from his wife and so Chandy ended things with Gavin mm. for a while for a while. Gavin was several years older than Shandy, like we were saying, uh, so he would he was 53 or around there, and I think perhaps the age difference inspired him to um, get a prescription for Viagra. Ah. So while he's carrying on a relationship with Chandy, Mm -hmm. his sex life with Lisa was also improving. Mm. The two of them even went to Hawaii on vacation. Lisa said it was like a second honeymoon. Things were popping, Mm -hmm. if you know what I'm saying. But when Lisa took a step back, she was like, huh. He went on Viagra. He's been going to the gym a lot, Mm -hmm. working out like crazy. And he's dressing like a 20-year-old just to go to rehab. So she started to get suspicious.
1: At least a midlife crisis. (laughs) At
0: the very least. And was like, ah, yeah, I think he's probably having an affair. She said, quote, I went through his phone and computer to find evidence. He didn't expect to get caught. He begged for my forgiveness and promised to end it. Mm. This was in July of 2009. So Lisa and Gavin went to marriage counseling.
2: Mm.
0: Neither of them wanted a divorce, and they were determined to work through this. But at some point in 2010, here comes Chandy emailing Mm -hmm. Gavin. She used an email account that she didn't think John could access, but he still found the emails on her phone. Nothing about either of these couples screams healthy. (laughs) No. Everyone is sneaking around. Everyone's looking through everyone's emails and phones. Yeah, no trust. (laughs) None of it is good. So in December of 2010, John finds out that Chandy and Gavin are seeing each other again, Mm -hmm. and he was livid. According to Chandy, he hit her, but she didn't report it to police because she was afraid of him, Mm. which unfortunately we hear about a lot. All the time. John emailed Gavin saying, quote, I'm going to get you, Gavin. Your wife is getting a copy of all these emails. You're fucked, you old prick. Which at this point, Gavin was uh, going on. Let's see. That was 2010. So he would have been 55.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Not that Which old. is not old. Yeah. But
0: whatever, that's beside the but point. But when you're
1: young, you think it is, maybe.
0: I mean, John. <laughs> but also, was no in... one
1: seems level headed in this situation. Not at the yeah. least.
0: And John also wasn't that. I mean, he was young ish, but like yeah. he's in his mid to upper 30s. So. Yeah.
1: Also, so much email. There's
0: a lot of email going around. That's
1: a paper trail, baby. That's
0: the thing. What are you doing? <laughs> so Kevin was like, uh oh. And he showed his wife, Lisa, the emails he had exchanged with Chandy. Mm-hmm. I think because he wanted to do it before John could. Yeah. Gavin told Lisa that John was a dangerous drug dealer that had threatened him in the past. Mm. John was a drug dealer. Mm. He was an admitted middleman between suppliers and quote, low-level street dealers. Mm -hmm. He'd actually been picked up by the police earlier that year in February for selling cocaine. Mm. So when Gavin told Lisa all this, they decided he should probably change his email address and phone number. Yeah. But Lisa wanted to take things a step further. I'm going to preface this by saying I don't think it was right to do what I'm about to tell you she did. Okay. But I'm not in that situation. Sure. But I do have some feelings
1: about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Lisa told her sons, Ooh. Your dad's been unfaithful and he might be in some trouble. So she decided to drive over to John and Shandy's home to speak to them. And she brought two of her sons with her. Hmm. Her oldest, Evan, who was around 20, and her youngest, Austin, who was 14. Hmm. But when they got there, Lisa stayed in the car and had her sons go up to the house. I'm just going to stay over here with my feelings.
1: What in the world?
0: John came outside, but Shandy did not. She stayed inside. Evan and Austin introduced themselves as Gavin's sons, and they said John looked angry when he found out who they were. Evan described John as, quote, burly, very muscular, and intimidating. John told the boys that he was furious with their dad for sleeping with his wife, and the boys started crying. Mm. These kids should never have been in this situation. Don't use your kids to do your dirty work. Don't use them as weapons.
1: Don't even use them as conflict moderators. Nothing. That's not their job.
0: But I'm staying over here. But this infuriates me. So first your mom tells you your dad is cheating on her, Mm -hmm. which that alone is just like a blow.
1: It's a power move too, right?
0: Exactly, because you're already like pitting them against Mm -hmm. one or the other. And then as the kid, you're forced to confront the guy that's been threatening your Mm -hmm. dad.
2: Mm -hmm. Just
0: feels real unsafe and unhealthy. Austin, the youngest, through his tears, begged John not to hurt his dad. Mm -hmm. He told him, quote, I'm in eighth grade. Mm. I'm too young to lose my dad. Mm-hmm. Evan also begged John not to hurt Gavin, saying that he must have apologized a hundred times for his dad's behavior, which a child should never have to right. apologize no. for their parents' behavior. No. Granted, Evan was technically an adult, but still, you shouldn't no. have to do that. By the end of the conversation, John had calmed down a bit, but he told the boys that if Gavin ever contacted his wife again, there would be problems. Mm-hmm. Over the next couple of years, Lisa and Gavin were struggling financially. They had purchased their home when the market was booming and mm. prices were high. But unfortunately, after the recession in 2008, the, volume of, the value of their home plummeted. Mm. They owed more on their mortgage than what their home was worth. Oh, no. So it's never a great problem for couples to have. They were trying to sell the house, but they weren't having any luck. Even while they were having these money problems, though... Gavin was talking about wanting to buy cars for his sons. Mm. And Lisa was like, are you crazy? We can't even afford our home. With what? Yeah. She was able to talk him out of that. But Lisa said Gavin was hopeless with money. In February of 2012, Gavin began considering early retirement because he wanted to give acting another try. Because, you know, it had gone so well for him the first time around. Lisa said that Gavin craved fame. Mm. But she was like, We have three boys to put through school. Like, stop talking crazy. So she decides to go through their tax tax records to figure out where the money was going. Because remember, Uh she was an accountant. So she's trying to find where they can cut back, what they're spending too much on. And it was while she was going through these records that she discovered Gavin was blowing through tens of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. Then she came across the name Melanie. Who's that? That's a new one. Oh According my to God. the records, Gavin was trying to set this woman, Melanie, along with her kids, up in a new home. Uh huh. He was having another affair.
1: Whose kids were they? They were her kids. Okay. They okay, were Melanie's. Okay. Wasn't secret family stuff. <laughs> no. All right.
0: Of course, Lisa and Gavin got into a huge fight, and Lisa had enough. This was the final straw. Yeah. On April 13th, 2012, she kicked him out of the house. She said later, quote, To be honest, I wanted to scare him. We mm-hmm. loved each other. He loved our sons. Neither of us wanted to divorce, but I couldn't cope with him cheating, and I wanted to make it clear that he could never do that again.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Gavin didn't know where to go, so he went to his office and slept there. When a coworker of his found him, she offered to let him come and stay at her place. According to reports, I don't think there was any romantic relationship between the co-worker and Gavin. It appears they were just friends.
1: Which is sort of shocking considering his track record.
0: <laughs> I know. I actually looked into it quite Yeah, a bit yeah, yeah. I was like, are we sure? Yeah. But yeah, it looks like they were just friends. Yeah. Lisa told her sons that their dad had cheated on her again mm. and was out of the house. Mm. The next day, April 14th, Evan, the oldest, tweeted, quote, Thoughts and prayers out to my amazing mom and bros, please. My dad decided to leave the family last night. Real family sticks together. Wow. Gavin did stay in contact with Lisa while he was staying at this friend's house. However, Evan was pissed at his dad Mm -hmm. and stopped talking to him. Mm. This devastated Gavin. On April 22nd, he met up with some friends of his for coffee. It was something he'd been doing twice a week for about five years. Sometimes there were as many as 20 of them that would get together and they would talk about their kids or sports or whatever. Yeah. And Gavin's friends all said that they envied his relationship with his sons because they seemed to have such a tight bond. Mm. Dr. Gordon Van Tassel, which just the name is like, That's I'm important. A name.
1: That's a big name.
0: <laughs> uh, he was a friend of Gavin since high school. And he was at the coffee date on the 22nd and said that at, that Evan not talking to him really hurt Gavin's mm. feelings. He said that Gavin really just wanted to be with his family and hoped it would work out. The day after this coffee meetup, Gavin traveled to Las Vegas for a work trip. He was attending CinemaCon, which is the annual convention for the National Association of Theater Owners, specifically movie theater mm-hmm. owners. And he'd been looking forward to this trip. It was a four-day convention. You've got all these movie people there. Awards are given out to celebrities and filmmakers. So it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. So Gavin is in Vegas. We're going to put that right over there for a Mm -hmm. second. Meanwhile, this same month, April, Chandy found out that her husband, John, was cheating on her. No. Oh, yes.
1: Unacceptable.
0: (laughs) Didn't see that coming. No, I honestly
1: didn't. I'm seeing a lot of things, but that wasn't on my bingo card.
0: And, well, this one definitely isn't. He wasn't just cheating with any woman. Uh Uh-oh. He was cheating with a high school student.
1: Oh, no.
0: She was 18, so technically she was an adult, but but no. John was 39 years old. Oh, jeez. And she was in high school. Ew. uh. Did I mention that? She was in high school.
1: You did. You did. It's terrifying. She was in high school. Yikes.
0: In court documents, they state her full name, but in the Dateline episode I watched about this case, she asked that her last name Mm. not be used, so we're just going to call her Lauren. Okay. Lauren and John met at the gym where John worked out. She was an employee there. Mm. Lauren said when she first met John, quote, he was beautiful. He was tall and he was muscular and a lot of women wanted to date him. A lot of men wanted to be him. She fell for him right away. Mm. When Chandy found out about Lauren, she and John decided to separate. Although John had told Lauren he was already separated. Financially, they weren't able to move into separate residences, so they agreed to continue living in the same house together, but slept in separate bedrooms. Mm. Because it always works out. Yeah. While in Vegas, Gavin spoke with his wife about how his back had really been bothering him. He had a golf trip coming up, but he didn't think he'd be able to go because he mm. was in so much pain. Mm-hmm. At the end of the convention, Gavin rode back to L.A. with his co-worker, Brett Resnick. Brett drove while Gavin laid down in the back seat the whole time because his back was hurting so badly. Which
1: he probably didn't even fit in the back seat, right? Right, because he's, six, six.
0: he's a very tall man. Gavin was back in the office on Monday, April 30th, and again on Tuesday, May 1st. And on that Tuesday, Gavin and Lisa were in contact because Lisa needed him to pick up their son for school the following morning. Mm. Gavin texted with his wife as well as his sister Tara on that day. Tara said Gavin was really down about his relationship with his sons. Mm. Because apparently it wasn't just Evan that wasn't talking to him. It was all three of them. Mm. They were pissed because he cheated on their mom. Tara texted him to quote, be strong and to know that the boys love you very much. And even though they're not talking to you right now, they do love you and they're just angry. Mm -hmm. Gavin texted Lisa asking her if she and the kids would be better off if he was dead, which imagine getting a text like that. So sad. Yeah. Lisa told him that she and the kids would be devastated that they loved him. And he replied, he'd never be that much of a coward to hurt himself that evening. May 1st, He was at the house of his friend, the woman from his work that was letting him Mm -hmm. stay with her. And the two were watching TV like any other night. Around 9 p.m., she told Gavin she was going to turn in. And Gavin said he'd be going to bed soon as well. Except that he didn't go to bed. Instead, he left the house around 10 p.m. and drove off in his black Mercedes. There were witnesses in the area that saw him drive away at Mm -hmm. this time. He took his phone but left his charger, his shaving supplies, along with a few other items that indicated he wasn't planning on being gone long. No, yeah. And he was basically wearing pajamas he had on a pair of purple sweatpants that belonged to Evan. Uh The next morning, he was supposed to pick up Austin from school, or pick up Austin and take him to school, Uh but he didn't show up. And Gavin was not one to forget his kids Mm -hmm. or leave them waiting, so it was definitely weird. Austin ended up getting a ride to school with a friend. That afternoon when Lisa picked Austin up, he mentioned that his dad never came to get him, Mm. nor had he returned any of his calls or texts. Mm. Lisa immediately felt something was wrong because she knew he wouldn't have just bailed on his kid. Yeah. So she had Austin call Gavin's work.
1: Mm. She really likes to have her kids do things.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure why she didn't just call. It's... I'm going to stay over here. Yep. <laughs> but they told Austin Gavin hadn't shown up that day, nor had he'd called in. Then Lisa called the woman that Gavin had been staying with the last couple of weeks and was like, hey, mm-hmm. have you seen him? Do you know where he might have gone? But the friend told Lisa the last time she'd seen him was when they were watching TV together the mm-hmm. night before. Lisa said that instinctively she knew something bad had happened to him, and she filed a missing persons report that day. Hmm. The officers asked her if she thought Gavin would ever do anything to harm himself, but she said absolutely not, that he loved his kids too much, and other friends and family agreed. No one believed he Mm -hmm. would kill himself. And they were right. Gavin did not kill himself, but it would be a long time before officers would figure out what happened to him. Some thought maybe he just needed a break. He had done that before. Mm -hmm. There were troubles within his marriage. Maybe he just needed some time to himself to reflect on things. But his family quickly dismissed that, saying he would not have left his kids even for a day without Mm -hmm. calling. And Evan, the oldest, the one that had sent that tweet about his dad leaving and real family sticks together, he deleted that and sent a new one stating his dad would never leave. He said, quote, he's a great father. My dad had no reason to leave. No reason at all. Hmm. Officers weren't able to get a signal on Gavin's phone and there'd been no activity on his credit cards Mm -hmm. after May 1st. There was no sign of Gavin or his Mercedes. Gavin's wife and kids set up a website to try and help find him and offered a $20,000 reward for any information leading to his whereabouts. Mm -hmm. Evan was spreading the word around USC and on social media, and Tara, Gavin's sister was all over the media. She's Hmm. giving interviews to anyone who would listen. She's passing out flyers with Gavin's picture. She's checking every river and ravine that she can think of. Yeah. And it was starting to bug her that Lisa didn't seem to be out looking for him. Lisa had gone public initially, Hmm. but soon she stopped talking to the press. None of this sat right with Tara, and she started to get suspicious of Lisa. Lisa. I will go ahead and say Lisa had nothing to do with Gavin's disappearance. Okay, and she had nothing to do with her first husband's death because okay. that's also where my mind I went. I know. <laughs> so when you said that, I was like, "I am yeah. going to wait to tell him that."
1: Also, like I, you know, in a lot of these stories, right? There is sometimes suspicion between family members, sure. right? Or like, why aren't you sad enough? Why aren't you trying hard mm-hmm. enough? And that I think that's natural. Um, it's not yeah. good, but it. It's often part of that pre-grieving, right? Yeah,
0: because your mind is going in a hundred million directions. Like, how could
1: you rest if yeah. so-and-so isn't back yet, you know?
0: Yeah. Detectives Tyler Bay and John O'Brien were assigned to Gavin's case. With the media attention the case received, tips started pouring mm. in. Some said they saw him in Hawaii. Some saw him in Phoenix. And one guy called in a tip saying he'd seen Gavin and, quote, a beautiful woman having lunch at a little taco restaurant in Northern California. When officers asked employees about it in an attempt to corroborate this guy's story, the waitress there said, yes, that's Hmm. definitely the guy I saw. They were sitting at this table. He was here. She was there. So Tara immediately heads to this restaurant. But it turned out it had been a false alarm. Gavin had not been there. So they weren't getting any real leads. That is, until the officers were able to retain Gavin's cell phone records. Mm. One number kept coming up, including an outgoing call to this number on May 1st. Mm. And when they showed it to Lisa, she recognized it right away. It belonged to Chandy Creech. But Lisa said that affair had ended two years ago, so mm-hmm. like, why the fuck was her number showing up? Yeah. Detectives decided to go have a little chat with Chandy. They talked with her for over an hour, and she did admit that she'd had an affair with Gavin, but said she hadn't seen him in a long time. They had been talking recently on the phone as well as emailing, but she hadn't seen him in person in a while and didn't know where he might be. After discovering Gavin had been in contact with Shandy, Gavin's sons told the officers about the visit they'd had with John Creech a couple of years prior. So the officers were like, you know, I think it might be time for a search warrant.
1: For Royd Rage's house.
0: He's on the Royds. Yeah. On June eighth, a SWAT team descended onto the Creech home. They left with several boxes, a computer, and a black Audi SUV. Hmm. They also ended up taking John Creech into custody on drug charges unrelated to Gavin's case.
1: There it is. They were just
0: like, while well, we're here.
1: You seem to have a lot of drugs. <laughs>
0: Detectives made it clear to the public this was still considered a missing persons investigation, not a homicide. Mm -hmm. They said no one at the Creech residence was considered a suspect.
1: Mm. But they love to say stuff like that.
0: They sure do, because they knew they were getting closer to what happened. And they didn't want to say that this was a homicide because they didn't have any actual proof. Mm -hmm. So they needed to keep some things close to the chest. Mm -hmm. They didn't want the media going crazy. When officers searched the phone records of Chandy and John... They found it really interesting that their phones pinged in the same area as Gavin's on the night of May 1st. What was even more interesting was that Gavin and John's phones began moving parallel with each other, Mm -hmm. while Chandy's went in a different direction.
1: That's very suspicious.
0: So officers interviewed John, which wasn't hard to do because he's already in jail. Yeah. And they were like hey, so we see that your phone was in the same place as Gavin's on the night of May 1st. Do mm-hmm. you want to you know, maybe talk about that? But all John said was that he knew Chandy and Gavin had had an affair, but he never actually met Gavin. He was like, I don't know. I've never seen the guy. Mm. If you remember earlier, he told Shandy that he had followed Gavin to the rehab center and confronted him. Oh, Yeah. So we think maybe he does know what Gavin at least looks like. Yeah. But...
1: But it is true that most of their interaction might have been email. True. Weirdly. Yeah. True. But I doubt he's that forgetful.
0: <laughs> and unfortunately, since officers had no body mm, and no actual proof that a murder right. had even been committed, there wasn't much police could do at that point. Yep. Several months went by before cops finally received a tip that was actually useful. Mm. A man told the officers his daughter had seen everything. And he asked them, do you know Raina? And the officer replied, yeah, I know the name. Who's Raina? The man said, I think Raina knows where the car is. The man that gave this tip was Chandy's dad. And Raina <laughs> Lim was a woman that lived in the Creech's home and helped care for Chandy's ailing grandmother who also lived there. I told you, there's a lot of people. There's a lot more people
1: in that house than I imagined. There's a
0: lot of them. So Detectives LeBay and O'Brien drove out to the Creech home and waited there until Raina showed up. Mm. They said that when they confronted her, she seemed very nervous and startled,
2: Mm.
0: kind of unsure what she should say, but eventually she provided paperwork to a storage locker. So the detectives drove to the storage unit, and when they opened the door, there was just one thing inside. No. A black Mercedes. Oh, I
1: thought you were going to say a body, but that's just as bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we've got half of the missing pieces oh my here. Oh
1: god.
0: As LeBay and O'Brien inspected the vehicle, they found a full-on crime scene inside. Ugh. There was blood all over the passenger seat, including a bloody handprint that they were sure was Gavin's. And they felt confident in saying that Gavin had died in the passenger seat.
1: The passenger seat? In
0: the passenger seat, which we'll talk about why in in a bit. When they examined the outside of the car, they noticed the license plate had been removed. Uh One screw was missing, but the other one was hanging halfway out. So the officers took the screw in and just put it in a little baggie. For DNA testing. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you know it, it was a match for John Creech. I I bet. Detectives wanted to know what Chandy knew, because her dad had said mm-hmm. she'd seen everything. Mm-hmm. But Chandy wasn't talking. So LeBay and O'Brien enlisted the help of an associate of John's, who was also a friend of Chandy's.
1: <laughs> was he also a bodybuilder?
0: Probably, because there are more bodybuilders coming up. No. Get ready. I'm not kidding.
1: Is everybody ripped in this
0: story? Yes,
1: they are. My goodness.
0: So this friend agreed to be an informant and try to get Chandy's story. And it worked. Chandy told him everything. Oh, my God. Gavin and Chandy weren't just talking and emailing, as she had told detectives, they had started their affair back up again sometime in March or April of twenty twelve. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm.
0: So just keep that in mind because that That's means like two months. He was sleeping with Chandy, Melanie, and Lisa at the same time.
1: Inappropriate. With back pain.
0: With back pain. <laughs> but again, like I'm not trying to like throw yeah, yeah, shit yeah, onto yeah, a yeah. victim, but yeah. it all does tie together as to how things led to where they led. John caught Chandy getting into Gavin's car one day and tried to chase them down, but the car sped away. Later that day, John told Chandy he didn't want her seeing Gavin again. And remember, John is sleeping with a high schooler. So just, that's, and do, that's happening. Does she
1: know that yet?
0: Does Chandy know it? D- yeah. I think so, because they okay. were sleeping oh in separate my. bedrooms at this time.
1: Oh, yeah. God.
0: A couple of weeks later, on May 1st, Gavin and Chandy made plans to meet up. Mm -hmm. Chandy told John she was going out that night, and he told her if she did, that he would have her followed. She basically was like, fuck you, I can do what I want, and she Mm -hmm. left. Around 11 p.m., she drove her Audi SUV to a secluded location that Chandy knew would be empty at that time of night. It was where she and Gavin had agreed to meet. Mm. John kept trying to call her after she left, but she ignored his calls. When she got to the meeting spot, she left her phone in her car and got into the passenger seat of Gavin's after a few minutes, Gavin got into the passenger seat, reclined it back, and Shandy got on top of him
1: mm-hmm.
0: and for some reason it just really bothers me that he did this while he was wearing his son's sweatpants
1: uh yeah thank you for bringing that up that's the story I bring
0: a bit I because it, it keeps coming up. They were like, he was wearing purple sweatpants. I'm like, you uh, they were his sons. Okay. What? Anyway.
1: This guy, I mean, it's clearly, I think we can sidebar and say, he was not well.
0: No right. one in this story is no. well.
1: And Gavin's like, he's got the drugs going on. Right. He's got too many girlfriends going on.
0: So, there's so many.
1: Midlife crisis.
0: Yeah, there's a lot happening there. Yeah. So Gavin and Chandy are getting hot and heavy. When all of a sudden, John mm-hmm. is at the passenger side window.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He opens the door and Shandy said, what the fuck are you doing here? But John just went straight for Gavin, mm. repeatedly punching him in the mm. face while Chandy is still on top of him. Uh-huh. So she climbs over the center console and is able to make her way out on the driver's side. Uh-huh. She jumps into a Mazda minivan which is the vehicle John had driven to the location. She said it was the closest vehicle. Her car was parked a little further away, and the Mazda belonged to Chandy's grandmother. John had left it running, so Chandy pulled it up next to Gavin's Mercedes and saw that John had Gavin pinned down in the passenger seat and was punching him repeatedly. Jeez. She said Gavin was moaning and not moving at all. And Chandy yelled, stop, you're going to kill him. But John just kept punching him. So she yelled, you're going back to jail. Right. Because he'd already served time on that earlier drug charge in 2010. Yeah. This is when John ran toward the minivan and yelled to Chandy, you're next. Ah. So she was like, fuck it, I'm out. Drove home, got a knife.
1: Which car did she drive home? She
0: drove home the Mazda minivan. Her grandmother's car got a knife, and hid in her grandmother's room. Oh. Which, can you imagine this ailing, elderly woman just lying there and like, all oh, this is going down around No, because
1: I didn't even know the old lady lived there for a while.
0: <laughs> so it's, oh, it's so wild. Oh my
1: God. Where's Raina?
0: Oh, we'll get to Raina. Okay. John walked home because Channy had taken the car he'd come in and the keys to mm-hmm, her car mm-hmm, weren't in the Audi. Mm-hmm. When John got home, he was covered in blood.
2: Oof.
0: He didn't have any marks on his face, but he had scratches and blood all over his hands. Reina, here you go, Joe, was also home when John came in and heard him ask Chandy for her car keys. Chandy said, quote, I threw them in the back of Gavin's car. They're in the Mercedes. Uh. Cause I'm sure she got out, got into Gavin's car, got yeah. out of her car, got into Gavin's car, was like, Let's toss, toss these. Stuff. And yeah. yeah. And John said, well, you're going to have to drive me back there so we can get the keys. I think she was a little hesitant about getting in a car with him. Yeah. So he said, we need to go back because Gavin is in bad shape and we need to take him to the hospital. Like, oh, how thoughtful of you. Yeah. So she drove him back. But she dropped him off about a block and a half away where Gavin was because she said she was afraid of what she might see.
2: Mm.
0: When John got out, she drove back home. John returned later, but not before making a lot of phone calls first. By now, it's the early morning hours, sometime after midnight on May 2nd. The first calls were to his friend, Jorge Valles. Jorge said that he didn't answer at first because the number calling didn't display a caller ID. But after about the 15th call, he finally picked up. John told him he had a problem and needed to talk. Jorge assumed John and Chandy had gotten into a fight, so he said, sure, come on over. When Jorge walked outside to meet him, John drove up in a black Mercedes. When he got out of the car, he was wearing a white tank top that was turned inside out, and it had red spots all Mm -hmm. over it that Jorge felt looked like blood. Mm -hmm. The knuckles on both of John's hands were swollen and red and really bruised. Jorge was freaked out, and he was like, what is going on? John opened the passenger side of the Mercedes, and Jorge saw, quote, something that was wrapped up that looked like a body. John said, hey, can I park this Mercedes on your property? And Jorge was like, "Mm, nah. This pissed John off. So Jorge tried to calm him down, and John pushed him. Oh. That's when Jorge said, yeah, no, you can't park it here, but you can park it at my parents' house. Sure. Like, this dude sees his friend roll up in a car that isn't his. No. He's covered in blood. His hands are swollen and red. There's what looks like a body in the passenger seat. And he's like, yeah, you can totally leave this at my parents' house. That's not normal. So they drive to Jorge's parents' house. Question.
1: Do you think that's like... So he doesn't call the cops. He's letting them park the car. Correct. Do you think that's because of friendship or like fear? Because John doesn't seem normal. You know, <laughs> um, like, does Jorge know that?
0: John, so John and Jorge were friends. Uh-huh. So as we'll find out later, it does seem like it was more out of friendship. Okay. So they drove to Jorge's parents' house in separate cars. And John asked for some glass cleaner and paper towels, which Jorge went and got for him. And John begins cleaning the Mercedes. He's cleaning the steering wheel, the driver's side door panel, the center console, which just seems weird because Gavin's body is still in the passenger seat.
1: Yeah, and we know later on there's still blood in the car, so he didn't do a very good job.
0: Like, what is the point of cleaning? So that was weird.
1: That's really weird.
0: And then Jorge's dad was like, "Um, yeah, you can't leave that car here. Mm. So Gavin called another friend of his. Stan McQuay. Stan and John worked out at the same gym and were good friends. Stan is a bodybuilder.
1: They all are. They
0: all are. It was around 6 a.m. when John called Stan. Mm. He was frantic, asked if he could park a car in Stan's garage. And Stan was like, sure, no questions asked. So Jorge follows John to Stan's place. Oh Stan opens up the garage for him, and John asked him to help him cover the car with a car cover. As they're doing this, Stan notices what clearly looks like a body wrapped up in the front seat, and John just said, oh, please don't look in there. Stan asked him, what's going on? And John said, quote, I caught my wife with with another guy, and I got in a fight with him. And Stan was just like, okay. No. John then gets back into Jorge's car because Jorge was going to give him a ride home. So when they get to John's house, John gets out, but threw a cell phone in the car before closing the door and said, get rid of this phone. Uh, So Jorge was just like, "Okay," Oh, my God. And tossed the phone in a trash can at a McDonald's. Hmm. So that was not the worst
1: idea. Not that there's good ways to do murder. Never. No, but that's hard to track. Right.
0: Yeah, that's why they couldn't get a signal on Gavin's phone. Yeah. So when Stan and Jorge were asked later why they agreed to help John cover up what was clearly a murder, they both said, well, he's a really nice guy. Is he? I mean, that's friendship. I guess. Are men okay? I'm, they're not. When John got home after murdering Gavin, uh. trying to hide evidence by cleaning the car, enlisting his friends to help him store the car and the body, and then telling Jorge to get rid of Gavin's phone, he told Shandy, Gavin's dead. <laughs> It seemed like she was more scared than sad Mm. about Gavin's death.
1: I'd be scared too.
0: And she said, we need to call the police. But John told her if she called them, he would just tell them that she had set Gavin up or he would kill her. Mm. And she genuinely believed he would. Mm -hmm. She just watched him murder her lover. Mm -hmm. So she didn't call the cops. Instead, she and John changed out of the clothes they'd been wearing that night and threw them in the fireplace. Yep. John's were covered with blood, and blood had also gotten onto Chandy's clothing, mm-hmm. so they wanted to burn that evidence. The next day, Stan calls John, because he wants to know when he's coming back to move the car out of his garage. But John didn't answer his calls. Stan tried calling for days with no luck. Sorry. Finally, on the third day, John answers, and Stan's like, so... That car you parked here with a rotting corpse inside, are you going to come get that? Hmm. And John just said he was, quote, trying to get to it. You know, because he's such a busy guy. It's on guy. his to-do list. <laughs> literally, that's literally the next thing I wrote. Oh I said it's on his to-do that's list. That's wild. But he, you know, he's got other errands to take care of Yeah, John. yeah.
1: Other murders, you know. He's
0: got stuff to do. Drugs to sell. So Stan tells him if he doesn't come for the car that day, he's calling the police. Uh-huh. John then asks Raina to rent a U-Haul for him. According to testimony later, Raina knew the U-Haul was to transport Gavin's body. Mm -hmm. On May 4th, John pulls up to Stan's in the U-Haul, tells him he's going to take care of it. So Stan waits inside his home and just watches from the window. He watches John pull Gavin's body from the Mercedes and load it onto the van He literally could have called the cops right then, and they would have gotten there before John had left. Yeah. But no. No. Stan just watched him load the body and drive away, leaving the Mercedes parked in Stan's garage. So Stan was pissed that John hadn't taken the car. Weeks go by. Oh, my God. On June 21st, more than a month and a half after Gavin had been killed, John asked Raina, to rent a storage unit for him. Oh
1: my god. Why has Raina gotta do everything? I
0: know, right? He told her it was to store his motorcycles.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Or some motorcycles. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure yeah. they were his. At this point, John's already in custody on the drug charges. This was a couple of weeks after the SWAT team had searched his home. So two other guys showed up at stands <sighs> with a trailer and hauled the Mercedes to the storage unit. Oh my god. And still. Everyone involved just kept their mouth shut. Yeah. The family has offered that reward. Gavin's sister is using every media outlet possible to get the word out about his disappearance. And all these shitheads know exactly what happened, and they don't say a word.
1: No. Bro code.
0: Meanwhile, Lisa and the kids are still struggling financially. Shortly after Gavin's disappearance, Evan, the oldest, had smashed his right hand in a freak frat party accident severing two of his fingers. Doctors were able to reattach them, but Uh, he'd have more surgeries in the future, uh, and he had been a star basketball player at uh, USC, so there goes that dream. Dylan, the middle son, should have been headed off to college that fall, but instead he put his plans on hold so he could stay and help take care of his mom Mm -hmm. because she was caring for her mother who had cancer. Oh, my God. And Austin, the youngest, suffered a severe spinal injury while playing sports.
2: Whoa.
0: So this family is going through it. Yeah. But they can't even collect on Gavin's life insurance because, because there's, there's no still body. no body. Oh,
1: my God.
0: It wasn't until Detectives LeBay and O'Brien found the car in the storage unit that they were able to declare Gavin dead. Yeah. They had enough evidence that they felt confident in saying this was a homicide.
1: But and it, it wasn't just finding the car. It was finding a bloody car. It
0: was finding the right. bloody car. Yes. Yeah. But it would, well, and the DNA match. And the DNA,
1: that's right.
0: But it would be another year and a half. So two and a half years after Gavin disappeared that the family would have closure. Mm. And it was all thanks to a dog named Buddy. What? Buddy was out hiking with his humans in the Angeles National Forest on October 26, 2014.
1: Oh my God, that's so long.
0: Yeah. And think about it, it's Southern California. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. <sighs> Buddy's owner, a man named Rocky Ramos, along no. with Rocky. <laughs> we love Rocky. Is he Rocky's another great. bodybuilder? He's not. He Sounds great. like one. He's great. It's, it's a great bodybuilder name. Yeah. Along with Rocky's wife and granddaughter, had driven up a dirt road that was known to locals as a dumping ground. People would just leave their shit up there. Mm-hmm. Old mattresses, broken TVs, yeah. used furniture. It was basically like a junkyard. Yeah. And Rocky and his family were just walking through the area, seeing what they could find, I guess. That's when Buddy the dog wandered over to a bush and was just staring. Mm. And Rocky was like, come on, Buddy, over here. But Buddy didn't move. So Rocky heads over, and that's when he saw a human skull. Ugh. He and his wife weren't entirely sure if it was real. Mm-hmm. It didn't have a lower jaw or eye sockets. So Rocky took a few pictures of it with his phone and they went back home and showed the pictures to their daughter. And their daughter took one look at it and was like, uh, you should call the police. Cops arrived immediately and had Rocky take them to the location. And it was there they discovered a shallow grave. The investigators found human remains wrapped in plastic and a comforter bound with duct tape the body was severely decomposed mm-hmm. and partially skeletonized most of the tissue was gone mm-hmm. he'd been out there for two and a half years exposed to the elements yeah. so it was a pretty gruesome sight the skull and this i am this is going to get graphic yeah, yeah. so
1: just well i figured if the <laughs> jaw and eye sockets were missing
0: <laughs> yeah I, I probably should have prefaced this the skull and jawbone had been dug up by animals Mm. oh they found the lower jaw a few yards away large parts of the skull particularly the front were missing Mm. there were small fragments of the skull that had been separated blonde hair was also found at the scene remember gavin was blonde yes screws and plates were found in the forearm bones which was consistent with an old entry of gavin's The cause of death was blunt cranial facial trauma and it was ruled a homicide. The broken facial structure of the skull was determined to be a result of blunt trauma before death. They said it could not have been caused by a fall. Mm -hmm. So that gives you an idea of the force John Creech used to brutally beat this man to death. He literally bashed his face Mm -hmm. in. Gavin also had a fracture in his right forearm that occurred around the time of death, which indicated a defensive wound. So he tried to fight back, but was no match for Mm -hmm. John Creech. If you'll remember, Gavin's back had really been bothering him, which probably limited his movement. And John was on the roids and was super jacked up. Detectives LeBay and O'Brien paid John a little visit at his cell. They didn't say anything to him. They just walked up and showed him a picture of the shallow grave. Hmm. They said John's eyes immediately got wide and he called his lawyer. John Creech was charged with first degree murder with a special circumstance of lying in wait. He pleaded. What does that mean? It means that he was planning this and he was waiting to find them together.
1: Like premeditated with some extra time. Yeah.
0: We actually talked about this um, in the Amy Harward case. Oh, did we?
1: Yeah. I've already erased it from my mind.
0: <laughs> Blocked that out where the guy was waiting for her at her house. Oh,
1: yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So it's premeditated. He's going, he's planning to do this. John pleaded not guilty, of course, <laughs> and so the case went to trial. Shandy Creech, Raina Lim, Jorge Vallis, and Stan McQuay were all given immunity for their testimonies. Oh. So they faced... Zero consequences for their involvement in covering up a murder.
1: Wow. What about grandma?
0: Poor grandma. I hope she made it through. I don't know much about her. John's defense attorney said that John didn't mean to kill Gavin. No. It was self-defense. He was defending himself against an intruder. An intruder in his marriage. (laughs) Stupid. John. (laughs) Yes, it is. John took the stand in his trial, and wow, did he have quite a story to tell. Oh my God. He claimed that on the night of May 1st, 2012, he found Shandy had passed out with a lit cigarette in her hand. He said around 11 o'clock p.m., she got up and asked him to preheat the broiler for her dinner at 11 p.m. I mean, I guess people eat what? late sometimes. What does this have to do with anything? Oh, he's, he's creating yeah, his yeah, whole yeah. evening. Yeah. So he turned on the broiler and fell asleep. He awoke later when, quote, the broiler alarm sounded. Do broilers have alarms?
1: The, why is everybody falling asleep while things are burning?
0: I've never known a broiler no, to have an no alarm. No, there's no broiler alarm. He said, Chandy was nowhere to be found. <sighs> he was worried because she'd been drinking and he didn't want her to drink and drive because yeah, right. he's so concerned. Yeah. So Chandy's grandmother said, Take my car, go find her. So John turned on a tracking app that connected to Chandy's phone, which that is true. That is how he tracked her to find her location. And he said when he found her in Gavin's car, he just knocked on the window. And when Chandy opened the door, John grabbed her keys, which he said were on the dashboard, and threw them into the bushes, telling her, you need to walk home and sober up. You know, because he's so concerned about her safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John said that Gavin started, quote, running his mouth. So John leaned in to tell him to mind his own business. And it was at this point that Gavin started punching him. And he reenacts this in court. There's video of it. John said Gavin grabbed him by the throat and began choking him, pinned his head against the ceiling of the car and shoved his thumb into John's right eye and began gouging his eye out john said i was scared for my life after a struggle john was able to get about four punches in before he rolled out of the car he said this is when gavin got out and started spitting blood then went back to the car and retrieved what john said was a stainless steel object about 12 inches long that he believed was a knife so john stuck his leg out to trip gavin which caused Gavin to fall to the ground face first. With Gavin down, John took this opportunity to try and punch Gavin, but Gavin started hitting John repeatedly with that foot-long weapon, which John later claimed was not a knife, but a hammer with an ice pick at the end of it.
1: Whoa. Does that exist?
0: I don't know. On cross-examination, John stated that weapon was a tool used to break into cars. Uh. One, how would you know that? Yeah. Two, now you're implying Gavin would go around breaking into cars? What's going on? Also, I'm pretty sure if you got hit repeatedly with a hammer that had an ice pick at the end of it, you'd be in pretty bad shape.
1: Yes. Yes. Which he wasn't.
0: (laughs) Which he was not. John said Gavin then got up, blood pouring from his nose, and got back into his driver's seat, at which point John grabbed the weapon, put it in his pocket, and walked home. What? This 12-inch long weapon. He's just carrying it in his pocket, and he walks home. He testified that when he got home, first he set the hammer ice pick thing outside the back door, then later threw it over the back wall of his property where he, quote, knew it would be all right.
1: What does that mean?
0: Uh, No such weapon was ever found. No, of course not.
1: But... but also, what in the world? Why would you bring it all the way home and then try to get rid of it by throwing it over a fence? A why fence?
0: Why would you even introduce that into your story? What? That just feels like a little yeah, extra.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> Chandy, Reina, Jorge, and Stan all testify that they never saw any marks on John's face, mm-hmm. only on his hands. Chandy's brother testified that on May 3rd, 2012, he asked John, dude, why are your hands all swollen? Mm-hmm. And John told him he'd been helping a friend move, and a garage door hit his hand. Okay. Okay. And then there was Lauren, John's high schooler girlfriend.
1: Oh, God, I forgot about her.
0: She was called to testify and stated that on May 4th or 5th of 2012, she and John were hanging out, chatting, and she told John, Hey, this is crazy. The dad of one of my friends from school is missing. (gasps) She went to high school. With one of Gavin's sons. No. So she pulls up a flyer on social media that had been uh, circulating around. Middle son, right? I I believe it was the middle son. It doesn't specify. Yeah. Yeah. And she shows Gavin this flyer about, or sorry, she shows John this flyer about Gavin's disappearance. And John said, no fucking way. That's the guy Chandy was seeing, knowing full well everything he'd done. And she noticed John's hands as well and asked, hey, how'd you get all those cuts and scratches on your hands? And he said, oh, I fell off an ATV, (sighs) which is strange because I thought a garage door hit him. Right. So that's so weird.
1: So weird.
0: Lauren testified she did not see any marks on John's face. Everything John said on the stand, with the exception of him stating he tracked Channy's phone, was obviously a lie. Yeah. All of the blood that was found in the Mercedes belonged to Gavin, which shows the fight was one sided. Yes. And the jury was taken down to the basement of the courthouse where the Mercedes was being kept. Whoa. And they had to see what a bloody crime scene this was. But the self defense theory did get to the jury. They deliberated for less than an hour before returning a verdict of not guilty on the charge of first degree or second degree murder what but they did find him guilty of the lesser charge of voluntary manslaughter the courtroom was shocked detective o'brien said quote my opinion is that they didn't like the fact that cat that gavin and chandrika Mm. had an affair Mm I think the jury felt that he went back even after he had been warned, so in a way he kind of got what was coming to him. I don't even understand that logic because there's no right to kill somebody. No. L.A. County Superior Court Judge Stephen Marcus said to John, quote, "...your actions after beating Gavin Smith are egregious, heartless, callous. You failed to render aid, you failed to be compassionate, and all you cared about was yourself." Judge Marcus gave John the maximum sentence allowed by California state law, just 11 years in prison.
1: Which is, was he still serving for his drug he's charges? He's still
0: serving for his drug charges. So I couldn't find if he's if serving them. concurrent conce- or yeah. not,
1: yeah. Also, though, shouldn't he be in charge for, what's the thing when you're like... Um,
0: Perjuring like, yourself on this Well,
1: thing? yeah, but also the one where you're like in, um, inhibiting the investigation. Oh, I mean,
0: yeah, like hiding evidence
1: or yeah. whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I couldn't find details on that. Yeah, maybe um, he
1: wasn't charged with it in the first place. So it...
0: I'm trying to think now. Did I read that they... No, that was another case I was listening <laughs> to on another podcast. You, you read too many Never cases, mind. yeah. Never mind. John appealed, because, mm. you know, they always appeal. But the judgment stood. Yeah. However, I read in one source that he'll be eligible for parole in 2025.
1: Maybe I shouldn't be on this episode. <laughs>
0: Maybe we should take our names
1: off. Ooh. Of this.
0: And that's the case of Gavin Smith. This is a side story regarding his yeah. son Evan, which I started uh-huh. to put in here, but then I realized this episode was already thirty pages long sure. typed, and it do- it doesn't really relate to the case at all. Yeah. But I'll just say, Evan ended up going on Temptation Island with no. his girlfriend of nearly ten years.
1: I remember that show.
0: And it doesn't go great. So you can look it up for yourselves what happened. It does demonstrate how patterns can run in families. And now he's on OnlyFans. So, huh. yeah, it's a wild case.
1: For one moment, I was like, oh, he was like exploited. And then I was like, oh, it seems like he's fine putting his business there. Oh,
0: yeah. He, he likes to, everybody. to put it out there. Wow.
1: What a ride. What a ride. I I, I have a lot. I'm going to do a lot of my own research after this. Yeah, I'm. I'll tell you, nobody deserves anything bad like this to happen. Absolutely not. And I a takeaway for me is there's two people in this story who trusted really beautiful men, and I don't more than two. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm t- my takeaway is don't trust beautiful men.
0: Don't trust beautiful men
1: or men.
0: That that's a good that's a good motto to live by, right? Don't trust a beautiful man. Yikes! I think also just don't cheat. On your significant other. Yeah. It's not, like, because it's just a lot of work.
1: Oh, it's so much work. Just
0: break up instead. I do
1: think murder is worse.
0: Oh, totally. But,
1: like, I think what you're saying is, like, it's an, it's going to be a huge inconvenience for you. It really for is. For everybody.
0: And it's just, like, so much to keep straight.
1: Jeez Louise.
0: But you can, uh... Tell us what you thought in the comments on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube.
1: Instagram at Horrorwood. Oh, no. I did it wrong. Okay. It's all the same one. That's why you said three. Okay,
2: That sure is. That's okay.
1: All right. We can do it again.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, I
1: need your intro to do it right.
0: <laughs> but you can tell us what you thought on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube.
1: At Horrorwood Podcast.
0: Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And you can shoot us an email at...
1: Horrorwoodpodcast at com.
0: And if you're feeling so inclined and you want to get one of those gift packages, be sure to log on to Patreon before October 1st and sign up on our Misfit Murderino tier. You can do that at...
1: Patreon.com backslash Horrorwood Podcast.
0: Perfect. Thanks so much for being here. Oh my
1: gosh, thanks for having
0: me. It was a dream, it was as a, you always it say. It was a dream and
1: also <laughs> a what nightmare. a ride. Yeah, what a nightmare. <laughs> What a ride, my goodness.